the calling and the sexual ethics. Those are the themes in the scriptures today. The call of the first apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and prefaced by the calling of Samuel in the temple in their first reading, and then buried between the two in that first letter to the Corinthians, church's teaching on sexual ethics. Thank you, Grant, where did you go, uh, for reading it correctly. The first Corinthians passage, Ask Priests, this is the most commonly mispronounced passage in the Sunday lectionary. What you heard Grant read was, the body is not for immorality, but nine times out of ten, I've heard it read, the body is not for immortality, which changes the whole meaning altogether and really is a downer for a Sunday morning. We are meant for immortality, but not for immorality. A little bit on that to start. Corinth, when we hear Corinth, think Vegas. We talk about Vegas as Sin City. Corinth had at least as much of a reputation. In fact, to call somebody a Corinthian in the first century was a derogatory term. An immorality that Paul spoke of. If you look at the Greek, the word is pornea. Adults in the room would recognize the English word that has its root in that Greek word, pornea. It's a specific type of immorality, of course, dealing with the sins of the body, the marital embrace, what we call in the church sexual ethics. Paul talks about this as he says that every other sin is outside of the body, but pornea, sexual immorality, in that a person sins against his own body. And obviously this is an umbrella term that covers so much. All the, seems like all the hot-button subjects of morality, and it's too cold and too snowy of a day for me to get into, into all of them. So I'm just going to table that for now, but come back in a moment. After we look at those, those calling of the first apostles, John points out Jesus to his disciples, to Andrew and John, the one we know of as the evangelist. John the Baptist points them out. He says, with his whole being, behold, the Lamb of God. And Andrew and John, they follow. On first blush, it seems like such a simple passage. Behold the Lamb of God, and they follow him. Jesus turns, what are you looking for? Which doesn't sound very nice, but is a profound question, because every human heart is searching. And they respond with a very basic human response. Rabbi, where are you staying? (laughs) On a day like this, we all want to make sure we know where we're staying, right? We want to make sure that we're going to be secure. We want to make sure we're going to be warm. We want to make sure that, you know, it's comfortable. Jesus doesn't lay it all out for them. All he says is come and see. And that was it. From that day on, they stayed with him. That's what John relates, but we have to unpack it a little bit. Because on first blush, it can sound like they're just going for a sleepover. Come and see. You can stay on the couch. It'll be fine. I've got a futon. You'll be comfortable. But the Lord is not inviting them to a sleepover. It's not cohabitation. Even less is it something 
like a hookup kind of world. There's nothing about our world that is as passing and trite as a hookup. The Lord is always about a complete gift. Just as truly as he gave himself in the manger, as completely as he gave himself on the cross, and as perfectly as he gives himself his body, blood, soul, and divinity, every time we come to the altar, he always gives himself totally, completely. He holds nothing back. And in inviting those first disciples to come and see, he's inviting them into his very life, even more than Samuel in our first reading was invited to stay in the temple and to listen to the voice of the Lord. Can I give you three ways to prove it? Why this was such a significant invitation? First, because it changed everything for John. John was the youngest of the apostles. Look at any picture of the twelve. You can always spot, spot John. He's always the one, the one up there on the right-hand side in the stained glass window. No beard. He was all, the Christian iconographers always depict John as the youngest because, in part, he's known as the beloved, but even more, we know that his gospel was written far later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's. He had time to chew on the great richness, the poetry, the theology, and you see it and read it as you go through his gospel. It was decades after this moment that he puts pen to paper. Think of how much time passes for you to remember the early moments of your life. Think of your early to mid-teen years. What does he tell us? And they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. We've all had those moments in our lives, right? When everything just comes together. For some of you, you you remember when JFK was shot. Many others remember the, I remember the um, Challenger explosion, or so many of us remember where we were when 9-11 happened. He remembered the very hour that he met the Lord. It was four in the afternoon. It changed everything. This was not just a passing. Come and see, boys, you might enjoy it. This was a game changer for John. Secondly, he writes that from that day, he stayed, they stayed with him. Now, to stay with him, that, that sounds like he could be, you know, uh, surfing the couch, just, you know, finding a place to crash for the night. But again, go to the Greek. The word that they, he used there is the same word that John uses elsewhere in the gospel for the relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father abides in the Son, and the Son abides in the Father. When it says that he stay, they stayed with him, they mean he, they abide with him. They enter into this covenant with him, this complete gift of self. And then finally, as if there was any other question, the passage ends with the exchange between Jesus and Simon, now Peter. Sometimes we'll just call him Simon Peter. John does earlier in the passage. 
not a big deal for us. We know that he was Simon and he became Peter. What's the big deal? His name was changed. Well, maybe you know, Orthodox Jews still to this day never change their names because for them, and in the biblical way of thinking, a name speaks of one's very identity. That's why I love the tradition of, of parents waiting for their child to be born, not just choosing a name out of thin air, but seeing this child. Sometimes they've got a name in mind, but they say, no, that isn't the right name when they see the baby. This name speaks of his identity. For Orthodox, Orthodox Jews today, the name has never changed, with one exception, God. God can change a name. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. Sarai became Sarah. The name, their very identity changed. And so it was with Peter and Andrew and James and John, those first apostles, their whole identities were changed. Isn't it strange? The call of Samuel and the call of the first apostles are read on this Sunday with this passage from 1 Corinthians, this passage that speaks of the church's teaching on sexual morality. Why? <laughs> Some will argue that the church is just obsessed with sexual morality and will just try to fit it in wherever she can. But instead, it's because we focus on it because in marriage, we see the best image that we can find of how God loves us, how Christ loves his bride, the church. In marriage, we see this full commitment, blessed by God, the complementarity between the sexes, an openness to life, and never with coercion, but always open. Come and see. We live in a world with so much confusion on this subject. But to the Lord, but to the Lord responds to that confusion. He's not afraid of it. He enters into it like him passing along by the side of the Jordan. And he says to us, come and see a love that is free and total and faithful and fruitful. And in response, he invites us to say, here I am. I come to do your will.